You are listening to Pastor John Castile's Father's Day Sermon from the 10.30 a.m. service recorded on June 15, 1997. Sermon with it. However, today I will be speaking some repetition, uh, things that I've shared before, and some new things as the Lord gives us. The Bible says that a wise scribe brings from his treasury things old and things new. But today we have two fathers with us that I want to especially uh, talk about who mean an awful lot to me. One is my own father, Richard Castile. Dad, would you please stand? Dad will be 85 on July 6th. That means he's lived a lot longer than I have. And uh, I've had the privilege of having a godly father. I have no excuse to live and make many of the mistakes that I've made because I had a, a godly man to follow. I realize that many of you have not had that and you've had to turn straight to the Lord to get your, your direction and your help. But I've had a, a godly father who has stood beside me and then included me in ministry. And then in these later years, I've had the privilege of including him. And Dad, even though he is retired um, since he was uh, in his early, late 60s, he retired. And uh, the problem is, is Dad thinks retirement means put on new tires. And uh, so he continues to travel the city working in the hospitals and all the places where people get into trauma difficulty and there he is to pray with them and minister to them and carry the ministry of healing that God has given him. So I honor my father today and uh, much of what we have seen God do in Grace Chapel is directly indebted to his example and also his prayers that he constantly lists before the Lord. But today we have another father and he is the father of our denomination. Not the one who began the denomination and his grandson is throwing things at him right now. <laughs> but John Holland is with us this morning, both he and Doris. And he is the president of the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel. And as that, has given a voice to our denomination of strength. It's been used of God in bringing uh, racial unity and unity across the board in all kinds of religious circles. He's a man sought after all over. And we have a special tie to him because uh, he comes to see his grandson. John, could you please share a word with folks? Thank you. I believe that grandchildren are the way God pays you back for raising children. That's the payday on being parents. So uh, when uh, we get a few things tossed our way and we have the privilege of sharing and, you know, peanut butter and jam and all the things that go with it, it really fills life out. The cycles of the generations are the most rewarding of all. To be here this morning to share with you and to uh, share in, in, in the joy of being a parent is a great blessing. Thank you, and God bless this congregation and you, Pastor. Thank you, John. <clears throat> Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. I want you to pray with me that God would speak to us today. 
that he in his graciousness and kindness would break through our hearing problems, hearing from the Spirit, and our visualization problems, and that God would help us hear and see him today. And not only that, but that we can hear his word to us. I believe the Lord is speaking very strongly to us, and especially to the men of this church, and to those of us, those of you who are visiting. We're so glad you're here. And I hope that you'll be able to hear past my message and past the intensity of my heart and spirit and hear the heart of the Lord calling to you and speaking to you about answers that need to, to come about in our lives. I'm going to pray and ask that you would pray also and ask the Lord to speak to you. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. and We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us by your spirit and by your power and through your word. We're open our ears are open to you, our hearts are open to you, our minds and our thinking is open to you. We pray, Lord, that now you will speak to us by your Spirit, that you will use human instrumentality but go beyond that with your own presence and break through into our hearts and minds, break down barriers and coldness and lukewarmness and call us to yourself today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Say with me, Lord, speak to me today. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is one of the most powerful revelations concerning the destiny and potential of manhood that there is found any place else in your Bible. And it's given in the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Genesis meaning the book of origins or book of beginnings. That's what it means. It shows the Godhead talking, if you please. God is not speaking to angels. He's speaking to the other figures in the very Godhead. It's God the Father speaking to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, saying, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. The next verse shows that this is the way then that it was done. In verse 27, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Scripturally, the most powerful way in ancient customs and ancient languages to bring emphasis was not with exclamation points or not bold type or underlining, but by repeating twice what you were going to say. And so here, God repeats it twice. Twice. Let us make our man in our image and in our likeness, and so he created man in his image and in his likeness. So the issue of being made in God's likeness uh, could not have been a physical thing because, one, he is omnipresent. That means he's present everywhere, and we're limited in our presence. We have not yet figured out how to be more than one place at a time. He is omniscient. He is totally knowledgeable and wise, and we're limited in knowledge and limited in wisdom. He is omnipotent, and we are 
only empowered, and we are not all powerful. He is pure spirit, and we are tied to physical things to a great degree and have difficulty in comprehending and seeing spiritual issues and spiritual things. The Bible also tells us that Jesus was sent into the world as a man and had to put on a man's likeness. So it wasn't that Jesus, man was created like God and so Jesus came like God again. No, he came like a man to show us that that part of our of the image of God was not complete. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7 when it talks about Jesus coming into the world. In the last part, last part of verse 7 it says, coming in the likeness of men. In verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. And so we understand then that the incarnation of Jesus was God in a great way uh, miniaturizing himself or compacting himself down and forcing God to be in human form and a human body. Now, the point of Jesus' coming was because from the time man was created until the present, something terrible had happened. Genesis chapter 3 tells us what it was. The serpent slithered into the garden and deceived Eve. And Eve brought her sin to Adam. And Adam, not in deception, but in rebellion, sinned, joined with Eve. And because of that, God came and Adam hid. The Bible tells us that Adam hid among the trees of the garden. The trees were what God had given Adam to work in. So we understand that Adam literally hid from God in his career and in his work. And then God called out to Adam, Adam, where are you? Now, whenever God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. But he's trying to get us to understand the question and the answer. Where are you, Adam? And Adam said, I'm here hiding. So then the Lord said, who has told you that you were naked? So the fig leaves that Adam and Eve had made to cover themselves and that worked between each other but did not work before God. God slew an animal or had an animal killed and brought skins and covered them. And the blood of an animal was the first covering for man's sin. Adam then, because he'd sinned and was not repentant, but instead blamed the woman that God had given him, and thereby blaming God for his fall. Boy, that's realistic stuff, isn't it? Blaming the woman and blaming God, God had to put him out of the garden and the curse of sin fell upon mankind. And so we find Adam being unfaithful, Adam being a liar, Adam being evasive, Adam being deceitful, Adam refusing to face his own responsibility. And all of a sudden, the image of God now looks like Satan himself. And instead, Satan has stamped his image upon the man that God has created. And so, Jesus comes, born of a woman, God incarnate, to cause a new opportunity for man to regain the image of God. So the entire text of Philippians 2 reveals how Jesus, who was God,
came in the form of a man. Since that time of the Garden of Eden, when Adam fell, men look more like Satan than they do like God. Because men are known to be deceitful. Men are known to be liars. Men are known to cheat. Men are known to covet and to to lust and to push and to fight and to kill. The whole reason then for the new birth was so that we would have a new image put in our genes by the Spirit of God. We could become like God again through this powerful new birth. And this was both a birthright and a process of choice. John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13 says this, But as many as received him, speaking that Jesus came to the Jewish nation and they as a nation rejected him, but he said as many individuals as received him, whether Jews or not, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So upon receiving Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, we have been given God's own seed within us. And now we're given opportunity to develop the new seed into the manhood of God. Paul calls this the new man within you. And he invites every man to begin the process by casting off the attitudes and actions of the corrupted man. Now it's important that you understand what I'm doing this morning because it's important that you see that even though this is Father's Day, you cannot be a godly father until you become a godly man. And you cannot be a godly mother until you become a godly woman. And so the issue is, is how can we regain that which we lost? Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 through 11 Paul talks about the process. And he says, this is how you do it. You have to lay some things aside so that you can receive the new. It would be foolish for me today if I had a cup full of uh, venomous, poisonous, dirty water to just pour new clean water on top of it, thinking that if I dilute it a little bit, it'll still be all right. No, you have to pour out the old and wash it so that you can put in the new. And so it is with the new man. You have to empty the old out so that you can receive the new, and you only receive the new through the renewing process of your mind. Listen to what Paul says. But now you yourselves, Colossians 3, verse 8, you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Christians, don't get involved in those. Put those things away because when you came to Jesus, you put away that old self. And have put on the new man who was renewed in knowledge. Listen to these words. According to the image of him who created him. Again, the image of God has been stamped in your spirit. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. This man has no racial prejudice. This man has no ethnic prejudice. 
This man has no prejudice or predisposition to hate or despise or destroy anyone from a different economic background or a different political party or a different nationality or a different color. But everyone is the same in Jesus and we're all unto him. So we see it abundantly clear that we're again summoned by God to take up his likeness while we live in the world and while we live under this age. This is so important to the issues of fatherhood because to be a godly father, you must be a godly man. If there ever was a time when world events and national news revealed the decay of true fatherhood, this has to be it. When girls sell themselves so cheaply, looking for an embrace or a hug because a father never gave her status and dignity. And when boys and girls have to join gangs for protection, it's because a father never protected them. When peer pressure in the school is so strong that all the morals that a person can give them in the home are taken away, it's because the morals were not just taught. They were just taught. They were not imparted. They were not placed into the life by not only speech, but by actions and living. And the standards were real and lived before them. Men have so abdicated their position today, they've abdicated not only their position, their destiny and their responsibility, until now state agencies actually believe that they're better parents than the average family parents. And actually believe that they rescue children from us. But this is not the way it ought to be. God is calling men back to himself and women. He's calling them to regain their place in the family, their place in the church, and their place in the nation. But that can only happen when we do it God's way. God will not honor our way of return. The world's way of building men has failed miserably. It's time to return to God's ways completely. The world has built boys into selfish and materialistic men into greedy men, into violent men. It has featured knowledge, physical strength, and money-making skills over wisdom, understanding, and spiritual strength. Education has left men knowledgeable, but foolish. Exercise and sports have made them physically strong and aggressive, but trapped with lust and greed. As I was watching the national basketball playoffs and finals. I was so touched by, on one hand, the the strength and the skill, but on the other hand, the lifestyles and the depravity. The results are broken promises, broken marriages, broken homes, broken women, broken children, and broken men. Why do we have so many problems with our youth? Why do young boys terrorize the neighborhoods? Why do young people seek gangs for identity and for protection? Why do young girls give themselves away so easily, so cheaply? Most of the time you'll find in those cases it's an absentee father or a father deep in greed, either alcoholism or drugs himself. But you see, God has the answer for this dilemma. Let's turn to one of my favorite scriptures found in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. God says to the men, and it's as if 
You got a summons from God. You know, when I was 21 years old, I received a letter from Uncle Sam. This was a time of the draft. It was right in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And that letter said, Greetings. It was from my Selective Service Board, which you would call today the Draft Board. And they said, You have been called and summons to active duty in the United States Armed Forces. Now, that was a heavy thing for me. I knew the consequences of, of rejecting that summons from my nation. I knew that I could. I could run to another country and I could leave it, but I knew that I must show up. How much more is summons from God? If a draft notice should catch a young man's attention, how much more a summons from the God of the universe? And Paul, speaking on behalf of God, uses the strongest language of summons, saying, I beseech you, brethren. I beseech you. Beseech is old classical language to say, listen guys, hear this, now hear this, little whistles and all of that stuff. I beseech you, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God is de demand is that we turn to him completely, presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. Listen, a lot of guys in military have given their lives in a moment of courage and decision that the purpose that they were involved in, the freedom of others, the protection of their homes, was a greater value than their own life. But God calls you to a greater commitment even than that. He commands you to live your sacrifice. He commands that it be a sacrifice that is done now and lived out through the rest of your life by giving your body to Him. Not just your heart, your body. This means that we do not, we cannot be divided or half-hearted. We must present our bodies to Him. He will make them holy and acceptable if we do. But the only way to be holy and acceptable is to present ourselves as living sacrifices. This means that we decide to live for him. He makes the invitation, but you, as a man, as a woman, must decide. Second, we must not allow the world to conform us to its standards and its way of thinking. Conformity is the plan of Satan's for our lives. Satan wants us to be conformed to the pressures and to use media and peer pressure and ideologies and philosophies and all, even our flesh, the world, and everything about it to conform us into his image. He has stamped his image on us in sin. He has caused sinfulness to be part of our makeup. And now he wants that image to increase until we look and act and are just like him. Deceitful, greedy, aspiring, cunning, crafty, disloyal, and covenant breakers. Conformity is what will destroy the best in us. Instead, we need to be transformed. Being transformed means to be changed by the power of God's Spirit and His Word in your insides. Conformity is to yield to the pressures from outside until the inside agrees with it and gives up. Transformation is to raise the standard from within until you push the borders of where you've been and you start looking like God. Transformation. Transformation comes by renewing the mind. 
Renewing our minds is the process of allowing God's Word and His Spirit to have the rightful place in us. That the Bible is not read just for sermons or, or fancy thoughts, but it's read and it's placed in our life until it becomes alive and pushes the borders out, until our minds are released in it. Renewing our minds allows us to escape cynicism and negative mindsets. It allows us to become believing and optimistic again. It allows us to see things the way God sees them. It prepares us for the mind of Christ because our goals and emotions bring, determine our thinking. And because of that, then, our thinking determines our doing. So many times we try to change our doing without dealing with our thinking, which is based upon what our goals and purposes in life are. And that's why we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will work for us. God deals with the heart first and then the mind. That's why he tells you to bring your body because that's where your heart is located and your body is the tool of your heart. The objective of the spirit then is to lock us up body, soul, and spirit unto the Lord. Then he can guide us and motivate us. Let's do a test. How conformed are you? Or how transformed are you? I'm going to ask you some little questions. Just check them off. If you're apathetic about spiritual things, that means you don't really put that much concern about them. If you've found a comfort zone and are not pressing into God, if you're adjusted to being carnal in your Christianity and uh, have become complacent with that, if you agree with the way the world thinks and looks and decides, then you obviously are measurably conformed to the image that Satan wants you to live by. However, if you dislike spiritually lukewarm living, if you hunger for more of the things of God, if you worry about your sinfulness, then you're obviously on the way of transformation because holy discontent is a sign of the Spirit's working in your life. What does a godly father look like? Well, first of all, he looks like a godly man. Remember, we're talking about how, not about how he dresses or what fashions he wears, not how he looks outwardly, we're not talking about how tall he is or how short he is or how fat or how skinny. We're talking about what he looks like in personality and what he looks like spiritually. The world's image of a father is that of a sensual, bitter, angry man motivated toward his own pleasure. This began to be seen in years gone by when we made the transition from the movies and the television programs called Fathers Knows Best into the Archie Bunker concept. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Lately, in the last two decades, it has gone from Archie Bunker to something far worse. Into all the sitcoms being divorced men. Trying to impart unto sons and daughters they no longer have any influence over because of their own lives. Living in lust and betrayal and immorality. Devoted to their careers more than anything else. 
willing to loosen from the, bond, from the bondages of covenant relationships in marriage and in family for a better job and a better place and lustful opportunities. And that's the mirror that's happening out there. The question is, is that just Hollywood or are they actually taking a photograph? It's probably a little both. It's probably a photograph, but it's probably also the way Satan leads us into accepting that as okay. Where does it go from here? Well, we can already see that, that now we're introducing gay partnerships and lesbian relationships as okay on the media. But you see, true manliness is none of the above. It's totally different. Let me tell you what true manliness looks like. What does it look like to be a man? True manliness looks like God. say, that's too much for me to handle. No, it isn't. You see, it is manly to keep your word. You know why? Because God keeps his word. It's manly to be loyal because God has stuck by us, even when we're just as ornery as we could be. How many relate to that? It's manly to be wise because God is wise. It's manly to be disciplined. It's manly to have integrity. It's manly to be skilled. It's manly to be gentle. It's, manual, it's, it's manly to love your children. It's, it's manly to be holy and just because God is holy and just. It's manly to be patient and tolerant. It's manly to have your temper under control. It's manly to have control over desires and carnal appetites. It's manly to love Jesus. And it's manly to be holy. It's manly to pray. It's manly to worship and to praise God. It's, it's, it's manly to love your wife above every other human being. It's manly to give yourself up for her and surrender to her. It's manly to love your children and work hard all your life so that their lives can be better. Because that's how God looks. And that's what he's like. He is faithful and true. He's loving and gentle. He's kind and giving. And he is holy and just. God is good and knows how to give good gifts unto his children. But Satan's image is strong and powerful in another way. It's not really powerful, but it seems so powerful. It leaves a cowardly image upon mankind. You see, it's cowardly to leave wives and children with the raising of children. Alone, to face the world and its difficulty. It's vindictive and it's ugly. It is not manly to lie, to cheat and deceive. It's in fact cowardly. It's not manly to be filled with lust and greed. It's small. Anybody can do it. It takes no courage to be self-seeking and arrogant. It takes no effort to indulge in sinful appetites. It takes no strength at all to sin and go down the mainstream. It takes no strength at all to turn the garbage off of TV. But it does take manliness to stand up and interrupt it. It takes no courage at all to sneak around and to lie and to be deceitful but it takes courage to stand and be truthful. 
It takes manliness to say no to Satan and to be faithful and to be kind when people are not being kind. It's not manly to be embarrassed about spiritual things. They should be uppermost to that which is manly. Being uncomfortable about spiritual things shows you're more adjusted to the world than you are to the things of God. It's time to change. Say it with me. It is time to change. It's time to become true men of God so that we can become godly fathers. Before you can be godly anything, I repeat, you must be a godly person. It starts with you and God and no one else. It starts with me and God and no one else. But all this cannot happen unless you make the decision to be a living sacrifice unto God. As long as you and I are content with whatever we are today or whatever we have been, we'll do the same old thing and we'll have the same old results. The same old lifestyle, the same old purpose will bring us right to where we're at and no further along. But changing all of this that we are will not be easy. It will take strong decisions. It will take strong commitment, strong discipline, and strong experiences with God. That's why I don't understand how we can feel content with occasional attendance to the presence of God in services. It's fine if you want to maintain, but if you want to change, it takes more. The Bible sometimes is great if you want to just constantly return after failure. But to maintain victory, it takes more. It takes the Word every day. And it takes relationship with God every day. And He must take His place every day if you're going to be victorious every day. You can't just turn over a new leaf or move into another phase in your life. The fruit is bad because the root system is faulty. That's why God's Word tells us that transformation is what we need. Transformation begins with the new birth in Christ. John 3, verse 3 through 7, when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus was saying, "What? we know that you're good, and Jesus answered and totally sidestepped the issue that Nicodemus brought him and inserted this Word. Assuredly, Most assuredly, he says in the New King James, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And what that simply says is that unless you have experienced the new birth, you can't even visualize what God has for your life. You're blinded to it and cannot see it because of the damage of sin. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? In verse 4, Jesus answered, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Not only can you not see it, but you cannot enter into it. You can't participate in the destiny that God has made for you. You can't know what the image of God in your heart is like unless you're born again. And he says, unless you're born of water and spirit, because Nicodemus, in his 
is a perfect picture of what Jesus was saying. That even though he was religious and good and educated and had position and family and all of those things, he needed an experience with God or he couldn't even visualize, he couldn't even see what God was talking about. So he had to be born of water and spirit. Water birth Many people feel it means baptism. I personally believe it means that the child is born in a water sack. It's formed in the water sack. And it grows in that sack in the mother's womb. It has eyes, but it cannot see in the womb. It has ears that can only hear partially in the womb. It has lungs that can never breathe air. It has limbs that can never walk there. Hands that can never work there. It needs to be born into a new area of life. And so the water sack breaks at the time of delivery and lubricates the passage, and the child is pushed from one dimension of life into a new dimension of life that it was destined for and created for. And Jesus uses that example to tell Nicodemus, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, unless you have natural birth and spiritual birth, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. And then he finishes it by saying a third time, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. So the new birth is what we were talking about earlier when the seed of God comes in you and he has re-stamped his image on your being. And you were born now with the destiny of God upon you through the new birth. This happens to those that receive the Lord. Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So to really become new, you must be born from above. You can't do this by just joining a church. You're not born again just because you're of the right denomination or because you have the right doctrinal creed. It takes a relationship with God himself. When you come to the Lordship of Jesus and humbly surrender to him, and believe in the Lord, a decision to believe Him and to trust Him as your Lord and Savior. Then God's Spirit will make you over, and it's called regeneration. It simply means to be made again. But the problem with all of this is, is you can be born again and be a Christian and still remain carnal and never grow into your destiny. I have no idea how this could be but it seems like God is so gracious that he'll do anything and he's yielding to us and he saves us. I hate to preach it that way, but it sure seems that way. Because I can't think of anything more stupid in all the world than to get born again and then stay like you are. I mean, the whole purpose to get born again is to change. And now I'm born again, I'm going to stay the same. How dumb can you be? stamped with the image of God and content, showing off the image of Satan. Given the destiny of God and conforming myself to a destiny of meaninglessness, hoping just to make it in to heaven by the skin of my teeth, rather than the rewards of God and to be welcomed with great open arms by Jesus for a few works and uh, years of service. You can live and work right beside people and they may never know that you're a Christian, but what's the point of being a Christian like that? You'll have to struggle with the Spirit of God all your life, your own conscience, and you'll be miserable. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And the backslider has many, many problems, the Bible says. 
I believe God himself is calling us today, on this Father's Day, especially to the men, to make the decision to become real men of God this Father's Day. I believe he's speaking to you just like he is to me. I believe many of you not only sense that God is calling, but you really want to be a man of God, even though you don't know what that looks like in your case. That's why we come in faith. We have to trust God that what he does will be good. And if you're like that, if that's so, I want you to say it out loud with me right now. I really want to be a man of God. Listen a moment, you that have said that. The way to take it beyond words and into action is to turn to God with all your hearts. It has to begin with you and your heart, for the heart is the place that life issues from. It then must take over your mind as you read and meditate and as you seek the Lord and let him deal with your mind. It must take your time. Many of us say we have no time. I'm so pressed with time. But you have just as much time as anybody else. Nobody here has 70-minute hours. Nobody here has 26-hour days or nine-day weeks. We all have exactly the same amount of time. But you see, what we've done is we've already sold our time to other things. And that's why God says time must be redeemed. Redeemed must, means you must buy it back from pursuits and things that are causing us to be the way we are. Redeem your time. It will take time. It takes decision. But those are not hard decisions. Those are good decisions. The issue is, is you are giving your life right now to something. Most of the time you're not giving it. It is being taken. The forces and powers that be are taking your life and are directing you towards something. If you don't get into transformation, you are in conformation. And whether you direct your life or not is your own decision. And God has given you the power to make that decision. I trust that you'll make it today. Brad, please come.